Hi everybody, welcome to a new episode of the Womenhood and International Relations podcast. I'm your host, Natalia Bonilla, and for today's episode, we will be addressing queer theory in international relations. Before we start, I want to share with you two big announcements we have already been posting on social media. The first one is that we have launched an open call for Shard Docs uh, for a virtual festival we are going to celebrate on September 21st, International Peace Day, the Women and Peace virtual fest of this podcast. If you know any creative, any photographer, journalist, documentary filmmaker, or if you want to dig into the media arts yourself, you're more than welcome to submit your own um, two-minute to 25-minute short doc for this upcoming uh, festival. The deadline is going to be August 15th, so I invite you to check out the link on the description box with all the details for you to join us on this special occasion. Also, in preparation for the Women in Peace virtual fest of this podcast, we are launching an online course called Feminist Approaches to Women, Peace and Security Agenda. We're going to have two groups in a Spanish language on July 14th. We start and on English language, we start on July 22nd. We are going to meet in four uh, different sessions to discuss not only um, the Women, Peace and Security Agenda, but also to understand patriarchal violence in the army industry or the military industry, the peace negotiations, as well as how sexual violence is used as a weapon of war and as a weapon to um, control not only bodies, but also territories. If you're interested in joining us either for the Spanish version or for the English version live online, um, I'm going to list on the description box all the details for you to join us on these group studies that we are going to form. You're more than welcome to join. Okay, so I'm very excited to be sharing with you today's topic and this is one that I've been delaying for quite a while because I wanted to address it properly. I'm not an expert on queer theory. I focus on feminist theory applied to IR, but I felt with the different explorations we have gone already in this podcast, that it was time to start exploring other constructivist theories or other realms of IR, not you know mainstream theories, that could shed light not only on how the international system is shaped, but also how our identities as women, as people, as subjects of a nation or as citizens of the world, whatever it is the category that we want to, you know, label ourselves as, are constructed, are educated, or are encouraged, or even at sometimes forced. So I wanted to share with you a bit of my journey with this um, topic and this theory. The first time that I heard about queer theory applied to IR was through the work of Carol Kahn. She wrote an article called Gays in Military, Text and Subtext. I will list it down below in the description box, which addressed not only heteronormative practices on U.S. military, but also how these are um, 
externalized to wars, you know, around the world. And it really tied into the work of masculinities in international relations and how hegemonic masculinity, but also other types of masculinities are subdued or condemned or shunned away from what the state as a structure or IR as, you know, a political science field believed to be important. And the work of Jeff Hearn, also a masculinities and the missing men in IR, also shed light on these specific practices and dynamics. But it often was connected to the men or the male's view of power and not necessarily through a broadened scope. So queer theory in international relations actually investigates how the international order, how international power is shaped by sexual norms. And oftentimes we hear the word queer and we only connect through LGBTQ politics. And it's not the same. Queer theory and LGBTQ politics or perspectives are different. They are not excluding one another, it's just different. So maybe that's a good way to start in order to understand what queer theory is and then how can we um, understand it on the international relations sphere. So while LGBTQ perspectives see LGBTQ people as pre-given of rights, as pre-given subjects seeking their rights to be validated or to be recognized in the political sphere, queer theory or queer perspectives does not assume that a pre-given subject already has rights. It actually promotes the conversation on how sexuality or gender identities are part of a political process. So while already LGBTQ people assume themselves as pre-given subjects, queer theory does not assume that any person, regardless of their sexuality or sexual or gender orientation or identity, have rights. Because it starts on the fluidity, the fluidity <laughs> of how we shape our subjectivity and our relations to one another and towards the state. So this is very important to, to clarify. Queer theory works in the ambiguity in order to deconstruct what was perceived to be the norm or the many norms. <laughs> What queer theory problematizes in international relations is how world politics as a field of study 
believes itself to be unrelated to sexuality or gender. It aims to deconstruct the simplistic binaries not only of security and insecurity or state and system or war on peace but also on how society as well as politics assume what could be natural or moral hierarchies. The work of Marcus Thiel, the work of Cynthia Weber, the work of Melanie Richter, Montpetit, and many others showcases that we have been grown, at least in Western societies or the Western liberal democratic societies, <laughs> um, into heteronormative standards of social and political order. It is not to say that that's wrong or that's bad or that that should never have been taking place, etc. No, it actually criticizes, problematizes, and showcases why we have normalized certain standards and disregarded or ignored or even condemned others. For some of you that work with feminist theory applied to IR, this may not be a novel concept because with feminist theory applied to IR, we seek to deconstruct the international system as devoid or blind to gender. We start visibilizing and problematizing the gender constructs not only through the state behavior but also in relations to other states. So queer theory provides another playground <laughs> of knowledge deconstruction. It is a theory that don't often get recognized in the international relations, mainstream or alternative theories. And there's a reason for that. Cynthia Weber, who's been writing a lot <laughs> about queer theory applied to IR, I will leave some of her articles down below in the description box. She, she writes an article called Why is there no queer international theory? Basically, undergoing an investigation as to why if queer theory has gone global, at least after the 1990s, you know, there was a more um, open conversation about queer theory at a more wide and transnational um, conversation on LGBTQ um, rights and issues, how is it possible that in the international relations as a political science field, this theory is still not recognized? So she wrote this article explaining her different um, hypotheses. So the first one, and I want to share here with you, once again, all the links are below in the description box. The first one was that international scholars are not interested in queer theme work. And this 
is followed up by the interest in queer global studies has not yet led to IR scholars to produce any queer international theory. And that all the themes that queer global theory works produced by international religious scholars are so interdisciplinary that it lacks a primary focus on core IR concerns such as um, sovereignty, nation, state, and power, as well as citizenship. You can find parallels with the main criticisms that you know, IR scholars in the realist or the liberal lenses believe towards feminist theory. They say, like, what's worthy, what's valuable of your contributions to the IR field through feminist perspectives or through feminist approaches. It is interesting to know that queer theory is also receiving a backlash from these mainstream theories. But it serves a purpose too. I think with the work of Cynthia and Loe in Feminist Theory Applied to IR, we can find that IR scholars do not see feminism as a theory or gender as a valid um, concept to explore in international relations because that will mean that they will have to explore their own relationship their own subjectivity and their own connection to gender as a person beyond, you know, the name of a scholar or researcher or, you know, investigator or whatever, you know, beyond the work title, they will have to really come dig deeper into, into their own understandings and their own relationships and their own education to gender. And that's why they refrain from doing so, according to Cynthia and Loe in Feminist Theory. Cynthia Weber, with the queer theory, follows a similar line. I would not put them both, you know, I'm not trying to compare the two, but I find similarities in the discourses and the work that they are sharing. Specifically because Cynthia Weber showcases that there, the, the focus on sovereignty, power, security, nation, like these core concepts of IR are to be considered myths. And this is important because through the lenses of constructivist theory, we can find how the theories itself of international relations were once hypotheses that got reaffirmed through time. These are systems of beliefs, grids of systems that we have already you know, discussed here in this podcast through feminist lenses and through reflectivist lenses. And she problematizes how we have come to a point where whatever goes out of disciplinary IR, as she calls it, is often disregarded as non-important, or as she calls it, it becomes invisible in the discipline. She quotes the famous homology of Martin White's politics is to international politics, 
as political theory is to historical interpretation. This is important because we've been taught to believe in the international relations field that the core liberalism or realist theories are the ones that matter and anything else that moves from alternative theories that spark from other types of interpretations of what happens in the world, they are not important or they are, you know, laughed or mocked about. So to substantiate this claim, Cynthia Weber in her article, once again in the description box, you will find the link for you to read it. It's about 44 pages long. It's incredible. She talks about disciplinary IR employing three main strategies, homologization, figuration, and gentrification to make it appear as if there is no queer international theory. I am going to quote here what these three concepts mean according once again to Cynthia Weber, 2014. I start quote, Homologization describes the act of using a homology to describe relationships, relative positions, and structures in a set of elements in order to prescribe how relationships ought to be ordered and how elements and their aims ought to be valued. Figuration describes the act of employing semiotic tropes that combine knowledges, practices, and power to shape how we map our worlds and understand actual things in those worlds. And gentrification describes the replacement of mix with homogeneity while pretending that difference and privilege does not exist. Closing quote. In these three concepts, she is also quoting the works of White, 1966, Haraway, 1997, and Schulman, 2012. Closing quote. <laughs> um, I find it in incredibly interesting how she puts these three strategies to work. Basically, coming to a conclusion that international queer theory and I dare to say that feminist theory too, but the international queer theory is invisible because I are scholars, and here I will quote, have a working knowledge of disciplinary IR because it embodies general commitments and standards that regulate, manage, and normalize the conduct of conduct regarding international relations, publishing, funding, hiring, promotion, and tenure decisions, closing quote. So if most international relations scholars are required to justify their work with these specific standards of knowledge production, at some point in their careers, why would they open the Pandora's box to explore any other alternative theories out there?
for me, this is very essential to the work that we are doing. As a journalist, I can see it, you know, in international news media, why columns are, you know, on what happens around the world are often through realist or liberal lenses. That's the pressure, that's the standard, that's what's considered to be good, that's considered to be valuable. And that needs to change. Also in knowledge production and knowledge reproduction systems, which are centers, think tanks, universities. Because this fixation, this fixed knowledge, this heteronormative and hegemonic masculinity view, an androcentric and anthropocentric view of the world is based on unequal relationships of power or power relations. If you're asking yourself, what are the questions that international queer theory provides or how to start you know, applying queer theory to international relations, Melanie Richter, Mont Pettit, as well as Cynthia Weber have identified the following questions um, at the heart of this theory. I will list below on the description box an article that explains, the, explains this further called Everything You Always Wanted to Know About Sex in IR But Were Afraid to Ask The Queer Turn in International Relations. These are questions on this specific article. The first question that we can ask ourselves is how do cultural ideas about gender and sexuality shape foreign policy and military operations? How do the security and development needs of LGBT subjects become key terrains in geopolitical struggles around war and security? as well as around human rights and norms of diffusion. How do heteronormative, homonormative, and cisnormative frameworks inform the operations of the global political economy? How do normative understandings of gender and sexuality intersect with normative understandings of soldiering, militarism, and war to make normal soldiers, normal military policies, and normal wars. How do non-normative understandings of gender and sexuality intersect with understandings of racial difference and colonial forms of power to construct internationally dangerous figures like the terrorist and or the insurgent? How are processes of modern state formation connected to heteropatriarchal family relations and associated normativities of sexuality and gender? These are out of the many questions that you can start working when applying queer theory applied to IR. Once again, all the links on the description box for more information. We can see how this queer theory applied to IR has 
brought a lot of relevance to understand not only state homophobia, but also securitization of governing regimes, the collective identity politics, transnational LGBT rights discourses in IR, militarism and counter-terrorism. Some of the works that have been um, produced by this um, theory of knowledge are how failing hegemonic states perform queerness through their conduct of interventions and wars in order to solidify their hegemonic status, something that not only Khan in her previous work already have explained in the 1990s, but also Weber. How states produce themselves and their citizens as pro-LGBT subjects in part to constitute other states, civilizations, or peoples as national and global threats, according to the work not only of Weber, but also of Poir. How the articulation and circulation of global and economic value through queer and rational and racial, racialized <laughs> bodies supports the practices of empires and how queer is mobilized to designate some state practices as progressive and some as not progressive as a means to divide the world into orderly and disorderly societies. These are incredible lines of work because it showcases a structural marginalization and it showcases how the state and those producing the knowledge of states' behaviors and state systems and state beliefs and policies are actually creating and reproducing unequal power relations. Once again, we can see it very evident through these lenses of queer theory and feminist theory and any other theory that you know sparks from constructivist lenses. I want to end this episode with two last conversations. The first one is in regards to criticisms that the queer theory in international relations has. In the work of Manuela Pic and Marcus Thiel, authors of Sexualities in World Politics, how LGBTQ um, claims uh, shape international relations, there are three main criticisms that are um, instilled to this theory. The first one is its limited concern with discourses instead of you know focusing or broadening in scope into practices into behaviors and other types of analysis elements elements of analysis the second is how because the focus is so much on the discourse or the political discourse or the policies of foreign or domestic policies many material inequalities are left unchallenged. And the third, perhaps one of the main um, 
recognitions of you know criticism towards this theory is that meaningful political activism is only possible based on identifying categories that could help us combat discrimination. And I do agree with that because it feels as if when we are playing on the ambiguity or the fluidity of it all, <laughs> that sometimes when we are explaining it to others, and I, I have the same when I'm explaining feminist theory applied to IR, that if we don't you know, anchor it into concepts that people can grasp, they feel lost. They need, because we are still in the patriarchal mindset, we still need to see the world through categories and through labels because that's how language was taught to us, is through meaning. We give a word a meaning and we identify everything around us through the meaning that these words have or what we've been taught from early age to believe that that thing out there, that sofa, that chair, that building means what we've been taught it means. So if queer theory applied to IR, believes that the meaning is a political process and therefore does not believe or does not work through pre-given meanings to identity, sexuality, gender, subjectivities, and more, then when we are explaining it to others, when we are trying to deconstruct with others, we may find a lot of resistance, a lot of challenges. Not because others do not want to, but because their cultural, educational, and social backgrounds, regardless of level of education and more, but in regards to patriarchal violence and how it is ingrained into our education system and our languages and our belief systems can narrow our view or our understanding of how any of this can actually work to make a meaningful change. How can we combat discrimination if we don't say that LGBTQ people are targeted? How can we combat discrimination towards saying that women are inferior to men in international relations or in the patriarchal system? How can we combat or change or alter the order if we don't name or label or categorize subjectivities. That's one of the main challenges that queer theory has. And, you know, when we look at any other IR theory, all the theories have criticism. So it's not like, you know, like 
queer theory is the only one receiving the heat. Like every theory has criticisms. But this is very interesting to see because how much of the ambiguity can we stand? And when I was working constructivist theory applied to IR for my um, dissertation, for my master's dissertation, it was very difficult <laughs> to work um, and find articles that you know manage constructivist theory applied to foreign policy because they were very um, very linguistic. It wasn't you know based on examples, clear examples of how the belief systems are formed in a state, in a um, you know, in a in a relationship towards war or in a relationship towards citizenship, domestic or foreign policy. Like it was very difficult to have that lenses apply to case studies and understand it because the language used was so academic, so you know, out there. Like, who are you talking to? You know, like who reads this stuff? It was very boring. You know, it was not, you know, like, oh, I can do something with this knowledge. You know, like, I, I didn't feel like that. <laughs> um, I mean, that was in 2012. I, I mean, things have changed in around 10 years. Um, but just, just an example, like, if you are working with queer theory applied to IR, if you want to work with feminist theory or Marxist theory or reflectivist theory or critics criticism or critic theory critical theory sorry and post-colonial theory applied to IR is okay to sometimes feel like how can I land this we are also fighting with the system that was educated to us and our work goes against the current within ourselves and within what the disciplinary IR sphere of work production or knowledge production does. So the last thing that I want to share with you is a column published in November 2020 at the Fletcher School called International Relations and the Invisible Queer, written by Catherine Constantinides. I will list it down below in the description box. And in this column, she's explaining why queer theory is invisible to international relations, but how she, as a person that identifies herself as queer, is also invisible in her classes. So I'm going to share this quote of her article once again i invite you to read it and if you want to approach any of the subjects that we are you know um explaining in this episode opening quote classes without a focus on gender do not mention us at all part of the reason for this is the lack of ir scholarship on queer people but there is little incentive for students to focus on queer scholarship when it is so deeply undervalued by the IR community at large. LGBTQ plus people and perspectives are relevant in every issue and should be included in IR theory and 
practice at every level. Instead, we are often pushed to the margins of study and practice seen as a niche and controversial topic not worth engaging in. I would say queer experiences are obliterated from the canon of IR, but how can something be destroyed that was not there to begin with? Closing quote. I hope that you like this episode. It's different than some of that we have shared lately. I invite you to share it among anybody that you believe can benefit from the knowledge that we have shared here. I invite you to check all the readings, our recommended readings on the links on the description box of this episode. And I invite you to share your comments, your feedback on our Instagram account. You can find us at womenhood underscore IR. I also um, invite you to check the following courses that we are going to launch on July 24, Ju July 14 and July 22nd on Spanish and English languages on feminist approaches to the women, peace and security agenda. And I invite you to subscribe to our newsletter and join us on Patreon if you like to support the work that we are doing here. That's it for today. Thank you so much for um, supporting this podcast, for joining our community. Talk to you soon.